the Links and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Links and Locks podcast. Once again, I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet. Justin Ray, unfortunately, can't be with us this week. Justin has a little family emergency, as some of you may have seen on his Twitter feed Sunday evening. His very young son, Jack, is in the ICU. So uh, thoughts and prayers with the Ray family right now. And obviously, uh, you know, told him, don't rush back and we can handle things. So that is uh, some unfortunate news. But the good news is my buddy Will Haskett from Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio and like a million other places uh, works everywhere. So uh, Will was just telling me all the stuff he's been doing over the last few weeks and somehow made time for us here on the podcast as well. So Will, welcome to Links and Locks. All of us who are dads of young kids, like this is a business that is cutthroat. Yes. We will step over each other to get jobs sometimes. Mm-hmm. It is very hard to get to where we go. But at the end of the day, those of us who are trying to survive in this business and be on the road and away from our families, anytime you hear something that's going on like that, you will do anything you can to help because at the end of the day, we do try and help out one another. So best of love and all thoughts to the Ray family. Now let's get to uh, the smaller task at hand, which is trying to figure out some golf stuff. I, I, I know you were busy with a million things, but I know you also heard that Victor Hovland, of course, goes uh, back-to-back at Mayakoba, which uh, we'll get into these title defenses. There's some interesting numbers out there, and you know, I think betters tend to maybe even shy away, even though there's really no reason to. But let's start with Hovland himself, who uh, this guy's a ball-striking machine. He's now got three wins on the PGA Tour. None of them are standout wins. None of them jump out at you as, you know, okay, wow, that's a big one against a big field. But those are coming, trust me. He's still 24 years old, and this guy is – among the elite ball strikers in the world, is there anything left for Victor, Victor Hovland to do to sort of prove to you, Will, that he is going to take that next step into the next echelon, or is it just a matter of time? No, I keep trying to define his superpower, right? Mm, like, that's yeah. my thing with, with golfers at the elite level, is what is their superpower? We know what Colin Morikawa's superpower is, his irons. We know... You know what? I don't think John Rahm necessarily has a superpower. He's probably the best all around player in the game, which sort of then makes him a superhero, I guess, Mm -hmm. in that regard. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of trying to still figure out Victor Hovland because we love to point out the weaknesses of his short game when he first came out. And he self-admittedly has talked about how much time he's put into his work around the green. So he's not losing shots when he happens to miss a green. But I feel like he's kind of carving that same kind of all around niche that players at the very, very top of the sport have had. So when JT rose to number one in the world, now with Rom being, you know, I guess not head and shoulders, but there for a stretch, they're sort of being that way. Uh, Hovland, I think, gets an underrated rap for how good of a driver he is. And winning back-to-back years at Mayakoba, I think, is actually kind of the ultimate flex in that regard. He was T2 this past week in fairways hit and Mm -hmm. eighth in driving distance. It's not a golf course where driving distance really plays that much, but he kept it so dang accurate. And it's that same sort of control bullet type of shot off the tee that John Rahm kind of has. I'm kind of getting into this mode where it's he puts himself in such great positions off the tee that that's a guy that really gets my attention as the sort of the superpower thing and then feeds into the ball striking prowess with his irons. So, no, I don't think there's anything left for him to prove. He's got good results in big tournaments. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's right there. And I think that him winning back-to-back years at Mayakoba to me is, it is kind of like a mini flex to me because I feel like it's a golf course. That's a little bit kitschy. It's a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, ultra unique. Sure. And for him to take an all around somewhat quasi power game down there and win back-to-back seasons, it's kind of like, you know what, my game's going to travel everywhere. So if I think about Victor's superpower and I'd have to, look at the stats and see if this bears out. But when I think of Hovland, I think of sort of his strengths. I think he's a really good long iron player. And I think that it's almost antithetical. The fact that he plays so well in a place like Mayakoba and even Puerto Rico, where he's won, where these are shorter golf courses. And yet he's finding a lot of fairways. Now, granted, I I did not watch everything and there's no shot link. So uh, maybe he was dialing it back. Although if he's eighth in driving distance, then, it suggests he was hitting a lot of drivers out there, but I always think Victor is going to win some of his bigger events on some bigger ballparks where, Hey, if everyone's hitting five iron into a specific green, I think he's going to hit five iron closer and uh, giving himself more birdie chances more often. So I I think that's part of, part of the story for him. But again, like, like every elite player, it's not as if he does a few things poorly and a few things really well. He does everything really well and just happens. I, I think he hits his long irons really well. So uh, getting into the fact that he's gone back-to-back at Mayakoba, first player to go back-to-back on the PGA Tour since Brooks Kepka at the 2019 PGA Championship. And, of course, that one sort of kills the narrative a little bit because he went from Belle Reve to Bethpage, a 1,000 miles right. away from each other, and it's not as if it was there's this coarse horse narrative and he goes back to the same place year after year and plays really well. The last one to successfully defend on the same golf course was Paul Casey at the Valspar in 18 and 19. And so um, you, you almost wonder why it hasn't happened more. I did a little deep dive in the intro to my Houston Open preview this week, which we'll get into in a few minutes as well. But the, the fact that I, I think betters tend to shy away from the defending champion just because hey, it's really hard to successfully defend a title. But I look at it very much like if you flip a coin and it comes up heads and you flip a coin again, are you betting on it to come up tails just because we had heads already? No, the probability is still 50-50. And so the probability for Victor Hovland or any player to successfully defend a title is essentially whatever it would have been. And maybe it's a little better than at any other place because you know they've done it before. You're betting on... Uh, a known commodity, not an unknown. The second tournament, the one where the guy is defending, is its own separate case study. It's yes. not tied in any way, shape, or form to the original one. It's its own sample that we look at. Now, if it was Victor Hovland against a field of PGA Tour Latin America or Mackenzie Tour PGA Tour Canada guys, and he won the year before, and he comes back the next year, his probability should be exponentially higher than it was to win this past week at Mayakoba because of his quality of play versus the rest of the field. Right. So when we're looking at it from a repeat standpoint, we don't have anybody in the game right now who's an even money player when he shows up to a golf tournament. Very rarely. We came really close to become really close earlier this year. Wasn't it like Rom and it's Silverado, which was like horrible, which by the way, which was a terrible terrible number. Yeah. Yeah. There was no way anybody was going to take that number. And so we don't really have that guy who's him versus the field at any point in time. So when we're just looking at it in the vacuum space of that one particular tournament, you just have to look at it that way. So there were 
30 guys, 40 guys who realistically could have won this past week. Just like last year, there were probably 25, 30, 40 guys who realistically could have won at Mayakoba. And if we want to truly look at the probabilities of a one in 40 or one out of 40 sort of throw them in a hat chance of that to happen, then we see why it's so rare that it does happen because we don't have a Tiger Woods right now. Now, looking at Victor Hovland's ability on this golf course, I think maybe shifts a little bit how we view him on certain golf courses, because I think last week we look at Mayakoba and say, you don't eliminate Victor Hovland because his ball striking is so good. He doesn't get himself in really any trouble off the tee, but you do eliminate some other guys that were in that field, right? Like Brooks Kepka to me was a terrible play last week. I was never going to touch Brooks Kepka on a golf course where one snap hook, you're in the mangroves and you're taking a double. So we've learned a little bit more information about him to where could he three-peat next year? Sure, maybe the odds are slightly upticked on him because of what we know in this golf course. But again, it was just one tournament in space, and it just happened to be the tournament he won this season compared to last season. So two things there. The first one is that I think too often as betters, we tend to look at a player trying to successfully defend his title as, as if you're parlaying that player. So this, uh, But this right. isn't... Victor Hovland to win the 2020 and 2021 Mayakoba events. This isn't, hey, what do you think the chances are of this coin landing on heads twice in a row? It's it already landed on heads. What is the uh, what are the odds? What is the probability of it landing on heads again? Well, it's 50 50 because it uh, what happened before has no bearing on what's going to happen again in the future. And so the second part of this, you mentioned Tiger's name. I dug up this stat this morning. (laughs) Yeah. We could sit here for four hours and talk about our favorite Tiger stats and still leave some on the table that we'd never even get to. But this one I'd never really thought about before in these terms, and this might be one of my new favorite Tiger Woods statistics. Tiger successfully defended 23 different times in his PGA Tour career, including nine in 2006 and 2007. He successfully defended his title more times than (laughs) Greg Norman, Ernie Els, or Davis Love III ever won on the PGA Tour more times than... Rory McIlroy has won at this point in his career. That's ridiculous. But he was also a course horse too. Like he's the greatest of all time who also happened to be a course horse because at the peak of his powers, he was so much better than everybody that there were golf courses where he, his separation was even greater than his separation on a quote unquote, more level sort of playing field. Mm -hmm. And I think that that goes into it. And there's also a comfort level in being the alpha killer of the sport. I think one other thing we have to look at in all this, when it comes to how do we look at a defending champion of event, if it's a guy returning off of his maiden win. So Carlos Ortiz this week played really well last week at Mayakoba is going back to where he won last year in Houston. There are going to be things that Carlos Ortiz has to do this week that he's never had to do before at a PGA tour event. It will disrupt his schedule. Does it disrupt his schedule enough for me not to play him? I don't know. That's a good conversation for later, but Victor Hovland's had to go back as a winner before to a golf tournament. He's had expectations of what that sort of looks like. Mayakoba is also, I don't think the most difficult place to go back to as a defending champion in terms of sponsor obligations and media obligations. And let's be honest in this post pandemic world, media obligations and some of the stuff at the beginning of the week has really diminished compared to what players used to have to do pre-pandemic. But I think there's a little tiny factor in that that does go into it. So what type of player is it that's returning and what's that week going to sort of look like? Tiger Woods was so accustomed to it. It was like, yeah, I'm just showing back up again at Firestone where I'm eight shots better than the field when I step foot on this place because of how I can drive a golf ball. So I'm going to win because this golf course was literally built for me to dominate. Yes. Uh, all right, let's get into our Hewlett Packard Enterprise Houston Open Place. That's a mouthful, and that's going to take me a long time to get used to. They just added that title sponsor 
about a week ago. So uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise Houston Open, we might just call it the Houston Open for short at some times during this week. But I, I want to get into Ortiz because I, I actually think that what Hovland did this past week at Mayakoba is going to feed into more Ortiz action this week because previously you would have looked at it and said, well, there's a two and a half year drought for players to successfully defend their title. As far as right now, you look at it and say, you know what? I've got a little recency bias going on. Victor Hovland just did it last week. Carlos Ortiz is at that perfect intersection that we always look for of recent form and course history. Course history? Well, they played one tournament in this current generation at Memorial Park in Houston. Carlos Ortiz won it. They played an event last week. Carlos Ortiz came in second place. That's a pretty good intersection. He is dead in the middle, right under that traffic light in the intersection. So Carlos Ortiz is probably um, not only a popular play this week, but I think more popular based on the fact that, hey, we just saw that that coin can come up heads twice in a row, really without too much of an issue. Dipped and putted his way to that win last year. He was first in strokes gain around the green, I think top four or five, maybe fourth or fifth last year in strokes gain putting when the week was done. So I look at that a little bit and say, okay, how much does it sort of line up? But you're right, you can't you can't argue with the form that he has coming in from what would have been an amazingly emotional victory last week. And I do wonder a little bit how much of that lingering late Sunday kind of hangover with then the obligations of being a defending champion, because again, you're at a point now where money on Ortiz is you're going to need a top eight out of the guy. Like really, I mean, if you're looking at it from a DFS, even from a betting sort of standpoint, so do, do I think this, is the perfect example of the Hovland situation from last week? No, I actually don't because I don't think that I think his win last year came with some areas of his game that I wouldn't expect to see replicated this year and getting him back into the winner circle. And I think he's now sort of, there's another guy that we're going to talk about. I think a little bit later too, that I think there's an overcorrection in the market as it relates to his skills this week. And I think there might be an overcorrection in terms of Ortiz when it comes to the market in a really good field on a big boy par 70, I might add. I'll buy that. So you mentioned that Ortiz putted really well, kind of putted his way to the title. Only 13 under last year. Remember, this is not an easy golf course. This is 7,400 plus yards, only a par 70. I look at this one and say, you've got to drive it long. You've got to drive it straight. Now, granted, you could look at any golf course in the world. And you and I have talked about this on PGA Tour Radio in the past. And uh, to the extent where we joke about it at times saying, well, long and straight will be really good on this golf course. I remember I, I used to play one of the old PGA Tour games. Uh, family life is... And, and betting life maybe has kept me from uh, playing too many video games lately, but I used to play one of the golf games where David Faraday was the analyst while you were playing and you'd get up to the tee box. And every time you got up to the tee box, Faraday's voice would ring out saying long and straight. We'll keep yeah, you in play right. on this. All. And it's like, that's yeah, right. no kidding, Dave. Thanks buddy. <laughs> and it's like, but long and straight, you and I both know this, that long and straight is more of an advantage at some golf courses than others. And there's a small sample size from Memorial Park. No strokes gains to statistics going back to what the 50s when uh, they were playing here previously. But um, I, I think we can ascertain the fact that long and straight might be a little bit better at Memorial Park this week than it was necessarily at Mayakoba or Bermuda the last few weeks. I mean, look at last year's leaderboard. If you really want to look at trends, I mean, Hideki, DJ, our boy Taylor Gooch, who is going to come up on this podcast. This is your, these are the guys, it's their finishing order behind Ortiz last year. Brooks Kepka, 
Sepp Straka, who mashes it, Mackenzie mm-hmm. Hughes, who got longer, specifically made it a point last year to get longer. And all of those guys, I wouldn't even call them streaky putters. They're actually really good putters who happen to be long and straight to sort of go with it. I actually think looking at the leaderboard last year without even looking at their stats, by the way, all those guys had a great putting week. I should add, I look at those guys and it's like, that's my list of when you have to go to a golf course where it requires really good long driving of the golf ball and a guy who I can trust to make putts. It was like the top 10 last year. Sam Burns finished T seven last year. It's like, Holy cow. It's guys that mash off the tee. And I trust with the putter. It just lines up. It's like the list was the top 10 last year at Houston. It's crazy. It's one of the only events in the past year where Jason day has actually played. Well, what does Jason day do? Well, he drives the ball and once in a while he puts pretty well, he doesn't do much else. Well, but he can do that. And so he's back in the field this week and he might not be a terrible play. Let's get to the odds board uh, here and and we'll get into our DFS lineup in just a few minutes. I want to start at the top. Good place to start. Usually. Sam Burns doesn't necessarily surprise me on draft. I'm going on DraftKings right now. Sam Burns at 12 to one and six notches higher than uh, number two on the board, which right now, as of Monday evening, is Scotty Scheffler and Cameron Smith tied at 18 to one. I I get it. Look, I love Sam Burns. I love everything about his game. I'm on the record as saying I think he contends at Augusta National next April. I think he makes the 2023 U.S. Ryder Cup team. I'm I'm all in on the Burns bandwagon. Mm hmm. (laughs) excellent i'm not so sure that he should be i'm okay with him being the favorite but boy the the favorite by that much uh in a field where you've got eight of the top 25 in the world who are in this field it's not a terrible field in houston this week i get it sam burns has been great recently his recent results are fantastic he won at the beginning of the season um he's playing very it's bermuda which he plays really he puts well on bermuda greens i I get all of that. This is not an anti-Sam Burns sentiment, but is he too big of a favorite? No doubt. No doubt. I mean, look, 8-T18, win T14, T5. That's a great run. That's a great five-tournament run. He's a perfect course fit guy. Top 10 guy last year. Love me, Sam Burns. Love the stock. We bought low. You and I are both Mm -hmm. invested in futures on Sam Burns. Mm -hmm. It's just, he's just not, I don't think he's at the level of player yet where you're going after him in the 11,000 range on DFS and you're only getting 10, 12, 15 to one money on it. Like there's going to be bigger fields where maybe he's coming off a little bit shorter form where we're going to be able to go back and get him at 25, 30 to one. And he's going to give us value. I mean, he was a great play at Sanderson, not a good play, a great play. Like he was a, almost a lock play. And I, I think I remember, telling everybody I knew going into the weekend when he was a few shots off, I was like, this is the guy you hammer. You hammer this guy right now because of how the leaderboard was shaping up. There wasn't a whole lot of resistance around him. He's a favorite play this week with Cam Smith, who has just as good a form without a win as he does around him. Big name guys sort of lurking. I just don't think we're at that point yet where you're an $11,000 investment in Sam Burns. I just don't think we're there yet. I'm right there with you for DFS, for betting purposes. Look, you want to throw him in a couple of lineups where, you know, Hey, maybe he won't be chalky. Maybe he'll be a low owned uh, high price guy. Fine, I'm okay with that. You want yeah. to play him for a top 10, maybe a top 20 is a very conservative top 20. Yeah, sure. I'm, like I'm not sitting here saying I, you know, fade Sam Burns. He's terrible. I'm just, I'm fading the price on Sam Burns, not Sam himself. So moving down the board burns at 12 to one Scheffler and Cameron Smith, 18 to one Sung J M at 20. Taylor Gooch, 22 to one on Taylor Gooch, who, oh, by the way, is still looking for his first PGA Tour victory. Yep. Uh, Matthew Wolf, Tyrrell Hatton, Tony Finau at 25 to one. 
Brooks Kepka, Adam Scott at 28, Aaron Wise, Joaquin Neiman at 30, and let's close out this top tier range with Carlos Ortiz, the defending champion at 35 to one. All right. Who tickles your fancy? Will Haskett from that top tier right there. Give me a name or two. Oh, I loved the idea of Scotty Scheffler before I saw where they slotted him in the odds boards. Mm-hmm. Brooks Kepka 28 to one. So I did a little digging on Brooks Kepka. Now, granted a few of these were at major championships and we all know that those are outliers for Brooks and he's going to play better at those. But in his last four missed cuts, the next event that he played, and I, I believe three of them at least were the very next week, he finished first, second, missed cut, fourth. What did Brooks Kepka do last week? He missed the cut. And it was a bad course for him. That's the other thing. He, like, he went to Mayakoba. I'm sure he had a great time. I bet he and Jenna had a fabulous time. I bet they didn't fly out until late Sunday. They, you know, like it was, they stayed and maximized as much time. I've been there. It's great. You could ride your little bicycles around. You get a little cocktail from the bar. You put your feet in the sand. It didn't rain that much last week. He had a great time. And he also began the week telling us how much he feels healthy, how he has no limitations. There's no, there's no governor on the accelerator right now for Brooks Kepka. Like he is able to practice in full. And so he gets some reps. He gets some R and R he gets away from a golf course that was going to punish a couple of bad drives here and there. It's a little funky. It's a little tight. He goes to a golf course where he was successful last year has great history and pedigree in terms of how his style matches up to it. And so when I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, this is a perfect opportunity for him to just smack down, get a trophy, take a little early season points, go into his winter in a really good place. And I get him at 28 to one. I get better odds on Brooks Kepka than I do Tyrrell Hatton. Get out of here. Get out of here. 28 to one. Let's go. Taylor Gooch, who's never won before at 22 to one. I, again, not yeah, anti-Taylor like Taylor Gooch. I, I love Taylor Gooch. He's been playing really well. By the way, if you had a top 10 ticket on Taylor Gooch this past weekend, my heart bleeds for you because he double bogeyed the last to finish T11. I mean, that might be call Scott Van Pelt. That's Brutal. one of the worst bad beats in golf that you will see almost ever. But Taylor Gooch at 22 to one, Brooks Kepka, four-time major champion at 28 to one. That just, it, I get it. I, I understand what the odds makers are doing there. It's just, we're talking win equity. And if you're betting outright, then yes, there's much more equity on Kepka. For, for my money, uh, the guy that I will be betting at the top of the board here, and I've got a bunch of guys who are much lower uh, that I also like, but Matthew Wolf coming off back-to-back top fives, played really well last week. We, we see what he can do when he goes low. 61 in the opening round, 65 in the final round. Uh, made seven bogeys in those two middle rounds, and so he gets rid of some of the bigger numbers. And quite honestly, this week, you're going to make some of those numbers. You're going to make some bogeys, and that's okay. And I think it's going to be more okay than it was last week. I am big this time of year, Will, as you know, on so-called strokes gain motivation. Give me the guys that are hungry. Give me the guys mm-hmm. that still have something left to accomplish. That was my theory behind a few weeks ago. I picked Louis Oosthuizen to win in Vegas. Uh, eh, that didn't work. Last week, I picked Shane Lowry. He's played really well this year. Hasn't quite gotten enough out of it. Shane missed the cut. Eh. Just bet top fives on Louis. The rest of the time. Anytime you feel it, just top five bets. That's all we have to do is top five. I need a top 60 on him in a 70 man field in order to (laughs) cash the week that I took him. So the outrights have not been great, admittedly. But that said, uh, Matt Wolf has probably more hunger and desire and motivation and inspiration than maybe just about anybody else out there because he he missed a large chunk of his year. Whether he was out there or wasn't out there, he still missed it. He still wasn't playing his best golf. His head wasn't in the right space. Um, Listening to him, 
and just watching him and seeing his body language, he looks happy now. He looks like he's in a very oh, good yeah. place, uh, complete 180 from where he was just, what, four, five, six months ago. And if he's in a good spot, I think he's as talented, if not more talented than pretty much anybody in this field or uh, anybody in most other fields as well. This is where, though, I'm, I'm going to disagree. This is where I feel like the market is overcorrecting on Matthew Wolf. I feel like we've, we, we've gotten the flash. And even though the week is perfect, even though the course is perfect for him, I feel like I would, I feel like I would bet I would short him. I don't know why I would feel like I would short him this week. I just, I don't know. I don't know why it's a gut instinct, but when I look, it's not necessarily the betting board. I actually think he's probably slotted in a pretty favorable position there. It was more me looking at DFS and he's the fifth highest price guy at DFS. Mm -hmm. He's more expensive than Cam Smith. He's more expensive. I mean, he's 500 more expensive than Brooks Kepka on DraftKings. Um, we haven't even talked about Adam Scott. I think Adam Scott's actually a kind of an under the radar, decent play in the 9,000 range of DFS. Yeah. I'm not betting him to win. I think he's going to, I think it's a perfect, I think it's a perfect golf course for him. I think it just, it leads into his ball sort of striking numbers. And I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I've been burned a couple of times to think that there's an, a miscut coming for Matthew Wolf. And mm-hmm. these could be words that I completely live to, to eat and to regret. But I thought a couple of weeks ago, I mean, you and I, I think we did the show together. I loved him at Sanderson. Like I was yeah. on the Matthew Wolf train before he even actually picked it up for the same reasons that you mentioned. I was like, I want him on a long course. He seems to be in a positive place. And this is a time for him to sort of have redemption in the wraparound portion of the season. But I feel like now it's the, we, the market has corrected itself and we're due for one letdown in this run of golf that he's been playing. I don't, I don't I could love, be wrong. Yeah. I, I don't love chasing a couple of top fives, quite frankly. I, I would rather, I'm not jumping on him because he finished top five. I almost wish he had been 12th and ninth in his last two starts. And so we're not, we're not getting him where he might've hit that peak and is going back down the other side of the mountain right, right. now. But uh, 25 to one was too good for, for me to pass up. I thought I was going to wake up this morning and look at the books and see him at 16 or 18 to one. Just the fact that there is that win equity he's won before. I mean, I get it. Scotty Scheffler is a fantastic player. He's never won before he's 18 to one Taylor Gooch. Great player. Never won before. He's 22 to one. That, yeah. That's really interesting to me. All right. Uh, let's move a little bit further down the board. We'll get to this mid tier kind of, I don't know, 40 to one to anywhere around 80 or 90 to one, anything in double digits. Uh, see what we like here. A couple of names. All right. First of all, Patrick Reed. Uh, the odds are no. too long. I, I don't love them. The odds are too long. They're, you know, they're, they're throwing their chum in the water. They're trying to bait you into it. I, they probably won't hook me, but. I'm at least going to sniff around. I'm very interested. Too many foul balls at Bermuda, and he finished where he did because it got so bad that it was a grind, and no one grinds better than Patrick Reed. Weather looks perfect this week in Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say no. I'm, I'm okay. going to say I'm, no, I'm, I'm staying away from it because I just don't think it's the right fit. I think that there's – I don't think he's going to have enough scoring clubs in his hand as often as other people are to rely on the things that make Patrick Reed really successful, and that is grinding out scores. Let me throw this one out to you at 50 to 1. When I think guys who drive it long and straight and guys who putt really well, I am a big-time Jason Kokrak fan. I've been waiting years for him to have the season that he just did with two wins, and I still think there's more coming for Jason Kokrak. I, I do too, and he's one of those guys that can kind of find it out of nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we've got in his last five, we've got two miscuts, one finish outside the top 50, but we had that nice little run at the end of 
the uh, playoffs, but then starting up this year, you know, two kind of lackluster performances in Vegas, and now we're sort of revving it back up. So I'm curious where he is. And I think if I'm looking at that 50 to one sort of category, you know, HV three, I think has kind of dipped a little bit. We thought we were going to get a win out of him, And now he's kind of slotted back into this place where again, the go for broke, he can hit it a mile, but he's getting you finishes. So again, in this price point, whether it's DFS or if you're looking for a top 10 or a top 20 bet, maybe not an outright win bet, I just feel like it's a safer investment of my money at 50 to one on HV3. And I'll tell you right now, I've got Mackenzie Hughes in my DFS lineup for the same reasons we were talking about when he finished top 10 last year. And he's also in that 50 to one range. I don't think Mac wins the golf tournament, but you know, four to one on your money for a top 10. I think I'll sprinkle that in there instead of worrying about the miscut. I think those guys get me cuts and guys that get me cuts have a chance to shoot 66 on Sunday and make me money. Bermuda greens this week and forgive me for not remembering exactly how the greens rolled last year. Are these going to be very fast green? Usually Hughes is the guy that I play on very fast greens. When I, when I think Hughes, I think U S open type uh, putting surfaces where the ball is just absolutely going to fly off the putter face. He's really good on fast greens. I have not been to a Memorial Park, but I did just come back from working at an amateur event north of Houston about an hour and a half. Cold front came through last week. It was dry. It was cool in the morning. And the Bermuda was able to just fly because sun's baking on it. It's not getting that much rain. And I think there's maybe only a slight chance of rain this week on Thursday. So they will have not had any rain for about a week's worth of time leading up to the start of the golf tournament, may get a passing shower on Thursday and then drive through the weekend. So this should be a pretty firm and fast golf course if they want it to be. So I'm thinking those golf, those greens should be about as good as they can get, which means firm and fast. Okay. Then I like them. Then I'm all aboard. And the last name I want to mention in this range, I, I don't know that I'm chasing him, but I was probably playing him when he was like 16 to one, if not that long ago. So Mito Pereira, I, He's not worse than he was a month and a half ago when he was the flavor of the week and everyone was jumping on him at crazy, ridiculous numbers, thinking he was going to win right out of the gate on the PGA Tour. Now he's down to 80 to one in a pretty middling field. I mean, there's good players in this field, as we've mentioned, but this isn't the strongest field that he'll play in this season. Any thoughts on Mito right now? I just don't think it's a good golf course for him. I think that he's a, a really good score scoring club iron sort of guy. It's, it's going to be really fascinating to me when we get a full sample, you know, 50 rounds on him to kind of see where his strokes gain do measure up. I'm guessing we're going to see really good numbers from 150 and in with irons and probably a middle of the road off the tee kind of thing, just kind of looking at some of those things and, and probably pretty sneaky on and around the greens. So if I'm looking in that range, I would love it. Johnny Vegas was playing good golf. Like it's the same sort of price range. We just haven't seen necessarily enough out of him. I may even take a flyer on a Taylor Moore if I'm going to 80 to one bigger hitter, good iron player, and a really, really, really good putter. And we've got some good, at least a little bit of data from his PGA tour career. And we know that some of it carries over from KFT. So I might even go there if I'm looking Texas, at a KFT Texas guy, guy. 80 to one. Get into the uh, the triple digits, the the lower tier. Here we go. And, uh, yeah, I, I've got some guys that I really like in this range, guys that I will play outright this week. Uh, Cameron Davis dropped heavily. I get it. He doesn't have a top 25 in, I believe, seven or eight starts since winning on the PGA Tour this past summer. This guy drives the golf ball really, really well. I'm looking especially from this bottom tier at guys who are really good drivers of the golf ball. Yep. Cameron Davis is a really good driver of the ball. I like him. Jason Day, look, I, I'm not betting Jason Day to win, but Jason Day, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier, played well here last year. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen in a place like this. He's 100 to 1. It, it, right. At least I think he can play well. 
But I mean, like a DFA, he's a cheap DFS play. I think 7,400, uh, 100 to one this week. He's six, plus 650 for a top 10. I, he was top 10 here a year ago. I think history can repeat itself. I'm not very bullish on Jason Day, long-term, moving forward, full season. But for this week, for four days, I, I could see that. Emiliano Grillo is a guy that his odds have drifted way too far. He's 110 to one. Taylor Pendrith, only a couple of weeks removed from uh, having a 54 hole lead on a golf course that I don't think nearly suits his strengths as much as this one does this week. I like him at 110. I'm going to give you a couple more names. I'm going to let you jump in here. Sepp Straka at 140 to one. He was top 10 here a year ago, played really well. And then my favorite play, my absolute favorite play on the board, Keith Mitchell. At 150 to one, mm. Keith Mitchell is one of the best drivers of the golf ball on the PGA Tour. 27th in strokes gained off the tee so far this season. 11th in that category last season. Really like him a lot this week. He didn't play well here last year, but he just wasn't playing well at that point. So I, I like him a lot. I, two more names. I said that was the last one, but I got so many guys in this area that I like. Two more names real quick. Uh, Wyndham Clark and Trey Mullinax. Good drivers of the golf Boom. ball. Boom. All right. You finally got down to the one I needed. Big okay. boy, Trey, yeah. 6,200 on DraftKings. Mm-hmm. You can get him at plus 275 for a top 40 for Trey Mullinex. If it. you had to compare this golf course, and again, we don't have a lot of data on it, but if you were to just look at this golf course and say, what course that we have played so far in this young PGA Tour season most resembles this golf course, which one would you say? Silverado. Silverado is a good one. A little quirkier in terms of the driving. I go with Sanderson. I go with really? Country okay. Club of Jackson. Shorter, Bermuda but... Greens. Yeah. A little bit shorter, but still one of those golf courses where you can go out there and mash. Like we saw what Sam Burns did. We sure. saw what some of those sure. longer guys fair. can do because it's sort of straight up and down and back. It's not as if you do have you know, angles and the dog legs where you're sort of playing to spots, which is Silverado. You have to play to a lot of spots out there. There are some yeah, places that's you fair. can chase. Okay. That's fair. Jackson, Trey Mullinax, T4 that week. It's his best performance. Again, 6,200 on DFS, a guy you can really hit the golf ball. And I'm going back up even farther than that. I like Taylor Pendrith. He's a plus 330 to mm-hmm. top 20. Another really big hitter of the golf ball. Uh, the weather really got to him when he was on the lead at Bermuda, which is a golf course that was kind of wide open, but it just sort of showed his comfort level. He was just coming off getting married. Uh, I think Taylor Pendrith is a good fit, and he, I found him a lot um, farther down the list with him on this one than I expected. By the way, Mullinax, in his last five starts, so that includes the Sanderson, and one of those was the Corn Ferry Tour Championship, but he's got three finishes outside the top 50, one outside the top 50, two missed cuts, but he's also got two top fives. So the guy, I, I listed him for a top 30 in my preview this week, and I yeah. like him. That's almost a bad play on Mullinax. If you're going Mullinax, you might as well go all in. Uh, Cause I don't know if it's going to be sort of in between. It's very high ceiling, low floor for Mullinax, yeah. but that's okay. Look, we're betting. This is what, this is what you do in your betting. You don't go uh, low ceiling, high floor. We want to go high ceiling, low floor. And so let's go all in on a guy that's got those attributes and I think can play well on this golf course. All right. I mean, Anyone else a, Trey Mullinex, before? Yeah. a Trey Mullinex top 10 is the same as betting on Taylor Gooch to win. Mm-hmm. It's plus 2000 to plus 2200. Like what, which, which do you actually gun to head feel more comfortable with Trey Mullinex getting you a top 10 or Taylor Gooch actually getting into the winner's circle. I actually kind of like Mullinex to the top 10 more than I like Gooch to win the whole thing. Uh, absolutely. I know that everyone wants to, show off their, their winner's ticket on Twitter and say, hey, look what I did. I picked the winner. You know what? 
picking a guy for a top 10 who's way down the board at the same price wins you the same money. So uh, let's not think just in terms of outrights. Keith Mitchell, by the way, top five, 25 to one. Wow. Yeah, top five in Vegas just a few weeks ago on a course that didn't suit him nearly as well as this one. Yeah, and I mean, he that boy loves Bermuda. I mean, he loves mm-hmm. himself putting on some Bermuda. I will bet so much Keith Mitchell in every single <laughs> marketplace this week, like everywhere. I'm just all Keith Mitchell. Kill a Keith this week. All right, speaking of which, uh, let's get to our DFS lineup that we do every week here on the Links and yes. Locks podcast. We also do it on the Gimme. That'll be Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time this week. You can catch us there. But for now, let's get to our six-man lineup on DraftKings. Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose to nose with him. And you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of. Because, God damn it, that's what I demand of you. So let's get drafting. Will, you're our guest here. Please, you have the honors off the tee. Uh, trying to sprinkle a lot of guys in the $9,000 range. I stayed away from anybody else like that. It's a mm-hmm. little bit of a higher. I normally like high floor lineups. I'm a very risk averse guy. Give me my money back plus a couple of dimes instead well, of trying to swing for the fences. And it's worth before we get into it. We always just kind of say, hey, let's make a DraftKings lineup. This is fun. Here's who we like. And it's worth getting into like, hey, this guy's good cash game play. This guy's good tournament play. And yeah. so I, I tend to play more tournaments. I think you probably play more cash games where it's just, you know, Hey, I'm going for the high floors. I'm going high ceiling. Let me, you know, let me go for the guy that's got a chance of winning or he's just going to crash and burn and be slammed the trunk Friday afternoon, but it's worth differentiating. You, you give us your lineup, then you and I are going to make one together. I'll, that's I'll, fine. Perfect. I'll okay. Screw you My lineup good place that you had Brooks at 99, Taylor Gooch at 93, Aaron Wise at 92, Mackenzie Hughes at 79. And then the Pendrith 72 Mullinex 6,200. Mm. You get yourself a lineup $300 under budget. I may have a lot that has sort of those similar plays at the bottom and just mix and match with different guys at the top. I'm yes. more confident in guys further down the leaderboard this week than I am the guys at the top of the leaderboard. So I might do stuff like Mitchell, Pendrith, Mullinax, and then put them with a Hatton, Kepka, and Neiman, and then put them with uh, yes. Scott Gooch and Wise or something like that and just try to mix and match with different combinations at the top. So, all right, that said... Uh, give me a guy that you want to start with for our lineup together. All right. I am going to throw out. All right. Let's get crazy. Um, gosh, no, no, no. I'm looking at all the guys at the top. I was like, no, no, Scotty Scheffler. I'm not spending $10,900 on you. All right. You know what? I think this guy won't actually, I think his ownership percentage is going to be shockingly low. So I'm actually, I'm going to throw out Cameron Smith. At 10,200. I think I'm going to play the low ownership percentage bank here because there's going to be a lot of market run on Wolf above him and even Kepka, Scheffler. Yeah, I, I think Cam Smith has a woefully undervalued percentage ownership this week. We've talked so much about Sam Burns and how he's played lately and just a, a progression of um, high, high level plays, high, high leaderboard plays and um, and just sort of that that high floor that he brings. Cameron Smith over the past, let's see, oh, going back about three or four months, ninth, seventeenth, thirty fourth, second, fifth, tenth. I mean, the guy's ready to pop at some point. He had kind of middle of the summer. He had some a couple of missed cuts, a couple outside the top thirty, uh, and then you go back to 
April and before that, 9th, 10th, 28th, 17th, 11th, 4th. I mean, the guy, when he goes on a run, he goes on a really good run. He hasn't won since, I believe it was the Sony Open. Yeah, there it is, Sony Open 2020. So it's been close to two full years, which isn't that long, quite honestly, these days on the PGA Tour. But the point of the matter is Cameron Smith has played at a very high level for a very long time now. And so, yes, I, I think he's got that high floor you're looking for and potentially high ceiling as well. Okay. Uh, I talked him up enough, so it would be uh, wrong of me to keep him out of the lineup, but only 7,000 kill a Keith Mitchell. Uh, let's fire away on, on all cylinders on all formats. All right. Um, same thing from a form standpoint, we've talked so much about burns. I'm just like spinning all of our cash here, by the way, uh, but I'll pick a guy that I already had in our last lineup. Again, his run of form is T17, T26, T8, T5, T15, uh, Aaron Wise for the win. Slot Aaron Wise at, what is he, 92 yeah. into, our, into our lineup. Okay. I, I feel like Wise, very very much like Gooch, um, very much like Cameron Tringali was there not that long ago, where yep. I, I just don't think the win equity equals what the odds are right now. Why is it 30 to one? It's not terrible, but I still, I'm probably not reaching for him as an outright play, but he's a guy that I really like. He's been very consistent. You just rattled off all the results lately. And so I, again, I think this is a really good course for him as well. So uh, this yep. could be the week. He he's what I call the Occam's razor play. Will, which is sometimes the simplest explanation the simplest is the correct the explanation. Shortest so. distance between two points, Aaron wise, go. he's going to get us. He's going to get us points for four straight days. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, let's get into, um, I find guys that I have, I've been, you know what, we sort of glossed over him a little and you kind of referenced that, you know, he's not really playing great right now. And I guess the last two starts haven't been great, but I still feel like this guy has a lot of game. This guy is a, a guy that I've mentioned. I, I feel like every week I mention him on the pod and say he should, could, would be a top 25, top 30 player in the world. At some point, Jonathan Vegas, just pops. He's got a lot of a lot of uh, background in Houston. I believe, doesn't he live in Houston, or he did live in Houston, the Woodlands? Yeah. So, I, you know, this Texas should be guy, yeah. yeah, somewhat of a home game for him this week. It's seventy five hundred. I think he's a nice play. I think a lot of people jump off him last after last week when he didn't play well. Uh, I've been on him for a while now, and I'm not going to jump off now. All right, you did Mitchell. We haven't said Mullinax at sixty two. What? How much money we got to play with here? Uh, we've got 16, one for two players. So we, all know, right, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you room to go spend. I'm not going to go all the way down to Mullinex because okay. we've talked him up enough. So we know people are going to use him. Uh, 6,900 Luke list T seven at Zozo T 17 at Sanderson, big boy hitter on a big boy golf course. Um, and I think uh, you get him away from kind of bumpy ish quirky greens i think again we've talked about it we don't have inside knowledge to this point but there's nothing in the forecast or nothing in what's happened recently in houston for me to think that these these greens are a little undulating they're a little bit smaller but i think they're going to be very smooth and very quick and i think that will help neutralize the issues with the putter for luke list so i'll take luke list at 6900 yeah i like that play a lot that's another smart one i think from the lower tier of things all right so i've got 9,100 left to spend. I, I can go Carlos Ortiz, the defending champion. We talked about him earlier. Uh, go Patrick Reed. We talked about him. Russell Henley really disappointed me on the weekend. He was one of those guys that I have liked for a while. I, he threw up, what, a a five-over uh, Sunday good. afternoon round. It wasn't good. No birdies on a golf course where he should just – his irons alone should be leading to three or four birdies. Uh, 
And right below him is a guy that I, do I don't love him right now. Uh, it's, You're going to do it. 54th missed cut in his last two starts. Before that, on 11th, uh, as far as 672 all score at the Tour Championship, 15th BMW. That's we're going a while back now, so there's not really that that kind of form. But I, look, if I'm going to sit here and for an hour talk on the pod about how I'm looking for great drivers of the golf ball who hit it long, who hit it straight, and can roll in some putts, I'm essentially describing Jason Kokrak right there. You are, you are. And, and so if that is indeed what's going to what it's going to take this week. And by all appearances from last year's event at Memorial park, that's a pretty good indicator than Jason Kokrak at 8,800. Welcome to the squad. There it is. We got our team and we didn't even have to buy super low or buy super high. No Kokrak list, Mitchell Smith, Vegas wise. I like that squad. High ceiling. That's a high ceiling squad. Yeah. And, and and I think again, those are, uh, I would go after the big hitters this week. Uh, you know, 7,400 plus yards. Uh, this is a big ballpark, only par 70. Uh, those guys are going to need to put themselves in some positions this week. And it's three par fives, five par threes. So it's not your traditional par 70 sort of layout. One of those par fives is like 630. So it's not just, oh, it's a par 70. These guys aren't going to have four cracks at par fives. Like, no, you've got a couple of really meaty par threes. There are a couple of short ones too, but you've got a couple of, you know, outside 200 yard par threes in addition to that extra par five to get us to that par 70 number. So it's a big golf course. Yes. As a par 70 at 7,400 yards, but you also then have that little bit of edge for the big hitters because they got an extra par five to try and reach back and go get. Well, you're the best. I know you've been busy lately. I appreciate you doing this. Thanks so much for joining us this week. My pleasure. All right. Good luck to everybody out there. And again, our best wishes to Jack Ray and the entire Ray family. Uh, for Will Haskett, I'm Jason Sobel. Thanks for listening, everybody, to the Links and Locks podcast. Remember, you can download, subscribe, rate, and listen anywhere you get your podcast. Good luck with all your bets for this week's Hewlett, Packard, Enterprise, Houston, Open. Here's hoping you guys hit the green. 